This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If there's one area where Joe Biden has struggled during his first 100 days as president, it's immigration. Immigrants flooded the border after his inauguration, responding to Biden's promise of a more compassionate and humane response than they could have expected from Donald Trump. The government is struggling to process the migrants, who include thousands of unaccompanied children, and keep them from spreading or contracting the coronavirus. Many are stuck in detention centers for more than the 72 hours the law permits while others are being released into the country on the promise that they return for a hearing. Meanwhile, Biden flip-flopped after promising to raise the cap on refugees set by Donald Trump at a historic low of 15,000 a year, first saying he would not raise it, then relenting. But the policy remains in limbo. Our guest today is a former director of the Immigration and Naturalization Service, Doris Meisner who served under President Bill Clinton and is now a senior fellow at the Migration Policy Institute. Well, welcome to the show, Doris. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I'm pleased to be with you. So, Doris, after promising to increase the cap on refugees entering the U.S., which was at an all-time low under the previous president, we've only seen a little more than 2,000 refugees have been admitted to the U.S. midway through 2021. This is a historical low. What's going on here? I don't know what's going on. It's very difficult to tell because there's such a gap between what the commitments were that the Biden administration made as part of its campaign and then continued to be talking about after the election and coming into office. And then, of course, this very quick about face that happened a couple of weeks ago, just in one day, I'm changing the number. So I I can't give any more insight than any of the rest of us, I think, watching it, which is that there does seem to be a a real sense in the White House, probably politically, that the optics of large numbers of people coming, not only across the border, but in other parts of the immigration system is just overdrive right now. But I would have to say that the way in which it's been handled is confusing. Yeah. And I mean, to give Biden his due, he's in an incredibly tricky situation because even prior to the coronavirus, there was more scrutiny on refugees because of 9-11 and the terrorist threat and the need to really carefully vet the people who were coming into the United States. You know, this was an issue for George W. Bush in admitting refugees and for Barack Obama. And now you throw COVID on top of that. And it sort of, to me, indicates like why he may be having a problem. 
Well, I think that's fair because I think that it is an issue that is very high altitude. It isn't necessarily where are the, the the fact that these are quite separate programs, quite separate agencies in the government, etc. I think that it's probably true, and I would accept your notion on this that just at a very broad level, there is there are just so many things going on on the immigration front that they just decided that they that they had to draw a line, but. It's also true that this issue of refugees, when the change happened with people coming largely from Syria several administrations ago and since, and the fact that a number of governors around the country particularly strongly rebelled, both to a Republican president and a Democratic president, that there is a history here of refugee flows now being quite controversial even though there is strong public support in general for refugee resettlement and the refugee resettlement programs that we've had, even with these populations in the last 15 post 9-11 years, they've gone well. So at the southern border, they're coming up from Mexico, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua, from El Salvador, and they are claiming asylum. And that's a different legal category, right, than refugees. And explain, if you could, what the difference is between uh, an asylee and a refugee. Well, they are the same from the standpoint of the definition that they meet in order to be admitted to the United States. In other words, a refugee or an asylee has to be able to demonstrate a a well-founded fear of persecution based on five grounds, race, religion, nationality, uh, race, religion, ethnicity, political opinion, and mem- or membership in a social group. And um, so, but the difference is that refugees are people that have been abroad, and we interview them and determine their eligibility for refugee status somewhere else in the world, and then we bring them to the United States. Whereas people who are seeking asylum get to the United States on their own, in the case of those flows that you're talking about now uh, at the Southwest border. And then they present themselves for applying for a process that then determines whether they are eligible uh, for the refugee definition. The, the, The asylee situation is arguably more complex because the people are here, they're in our territory, And some of them will be eligible, some of them will not be eligible. And the issue then becomes making that decision, being sure that it is a fair decision, but then what happens if people don't meet the definition and they're here, then there are the questions of return to their countries, the fact that they've come from unsafe conditions, even though they may not be eligible for refugee status, and the additional complexity in the case of the Central Americans, that so many of them are juveniles, so they're not adults, and many, whether they're adults or juveniles, actually have connections in this country, typically family connections. Right, so we have this big group of people that's arriving at the border. Some of them have legitimate um, claims to asylum because they've been persecuted or they're in danger in their home countries. Others are coming here because they 
they want economic opportunity. They want to get a job um, and earn earn money, and they're from from poor places. And those folks are not eligible for asylum. So the challenge here is separating them out, right? And what's your assessment of how President Biden is doing at that? As to the challenge, before we get to how uh, how Biden is doing that, that that is so true, and it is the disaggregating and the the terminology that we use is mixed flows, that these are these are flows of people that, as compared with 40 years at the southwest border, basically of almost entirely a Mexican flow, which was and is a young male, single, looking for work in the United States, looking to evade the border patrol. Here we have mixed flows of people that are looking for protection mixed in with the economic deprivation and lack of opportunity, but presenting themselves to enforcement officials so that they have the opportunity to apply for asylum. And the challenge there is not a new one We for, for President Biden. This has been a phenomenon that really began to develop in earnest eight, nine years ago. We can trace it back pretty much to 2012 when the numbers started to increase. So we have been through a couple of circumstances like this before. But unfortunately, our government agencies really have not adapted and have not changed beyond more emergency ad hoc responses to this change in flows, which is a really fundamental shift in the nature of migration across the Southwest border. That's what President Biden is facing, is government agencies that really have not been able to change their infrastructure, change their procedures in in ways that make it possible to have a real emergency response. These numbers have been building up over the last year or so. There definitely has been some pent-up demand because of policies from the prior administration that totally shut down access to asylum. And it is also true that the Biden administration made a decision or two early on, particularly with juveniles, in which it decided that it would no longer turn juveniles back at the border. But those decisions and, and those decisions have cumulatively generated flows, it's hard to know whether those are people that were already in Mexico waiting. There is this other factor of the Remain in Mexico program, the Migration Protection Protocols. Maybe maybe we'll get to that. There are a series of factors here that, taken together, have led to an increase in flows much more quickly, I think, than the Biden administration expected. Yeah, let's get to the remain in Mexico question in a second. But first, I mean, crucial here is the ability to process these claims and adjudicate claims to asylum quickly. And you hear that it's years-long wait for a hearing. Um, So it seems like we're a long way from being able to adjudicate these claims quick enough to manage a flow of thousands of people is that right? I mean, is that a dead end or is there are there policy decisions that could be made to speed that process? Well, that is the case. I mean, these cases are all cases that go before immigration judges. 
the immigration court system is an administrative body that is in the Department of Justice. And that caseload is now at a historic high. And that, again, didn't just happen overnight. That's been cumulative over recent years. But the immigration judge system is facing a caseload of 1.3 million. It's never been that high in our history. And so these cases, given the way the court system is managed right now, basically are at the end of that queue. Uh, the average amount of time right now that people are waiting for their hearings is more than 800 days. So, you know, it's going on close to three years. And that in and of itself creates an incentive also for migration because, after all, people are leaving very dangerous circumstances, but they may not all be eligible for asylum. However, if that decision isn't made for several years, they are safe for quite a period of time. And by the time the decision is made, it's much more difficult then to return people who might not be eligible. It's also unfair to people that are eligible because people who are eligible should be able to know it and establish a life. And so it is a downward spiral, this, the way in which the asylum system is working right now. It is, it is deeply broken. There are proposals that are under consideration, and we, we, we believe they're under consideration, but they are not quick answers. They will take regulatory changes. They would take some bureaucratic changes. They would take, in some cases, where the immigration courts are concerned, hiring, budget decisions, etc. And so in the meanwhile, the Biden administration is faced with large numbers of people and simply processing them and placing people. Yeah, let's, uh, let's look at one of those proposals for dealing with the problem, which was President Trump's, the Remain in Mexico policy. So asylum seekers would get to the border and make their claim to asylum, but they wouldn't be allowed entrance to the United States. They'd have to wait in Mexico for their hearing, which, as we just said, could be years in the offing, which might be untenable, I would think, for a lot of people to wait sitting there for, for their hearing in Mexico if they're from Honduras or Guatemala or even if they're from Mexico. So evaluate that policy. I mean, I suppose it had the benefit of reducing the number of people coming, but it also um, had negatives. Yes, well, you know, it, it, it is as you described it, but it clearly was an effort to skew the asylum system in a way that would create deterrence that would discourage people from coming and uh, and from pursuing their asylum claims. And so it created, from a humanitarian standpoint, uh, really uh, unacceptable circumstances uh, for migrants that were waiting in northern Mexico, some of them in very dangerous places, very dangerous circumstances. And one of the things that the Biden administration then did was to say, okay, those people who were in those very precarious circumstances, who were trying to apply for asylum, they would be allowed to enter the United States while their claim was being heard. But the Biden administration has made a very effective effort to do that in an orderly fashion. 
And that, of course, has become buried in the news about the larger numbers uh, that are newly trying to cross the border and being expelled uh, under other legal circumstances. But these Remain in Mexico, MPP people, are on a systematic basis coming into ports of entry into the United States, having already filed their asylum claim, and they are being permitted to wait here and uh, for their for their claim to be uh, decided. I think the numbers, the most recent numbers, are now that about eight thousand people have been allowed in who into the United States who were in that program. It's out of a total population of about twenty five thousand. Uh, so there still are more to go than are here. But once they're here, they're certainly in a safer situation. Most of them have family members or connections of some kind in the United States, people with whom they can stay while their claim is being heard. But those claims, as far as I know, are not being accelerated. And so that then exposes the incredible brokenness of of this asylum decision system because to the degree that people are simply waiting for years, that does constitute a pull factor for migration. There's been a lot of controversy, uh, of course, over whether this is a crisis or not at the border. Biden has said there certainly is a crisis in the Northern Triangle countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, um, the places the people are coming from that the the situation is so dire in those countries that people are sending their children unaccompanied across Mexico to get to our border and he's he's indicated that he thinks helping those countries solve whatever um, problems they're going through whether it be corruption or gang rule or poverty um, is crucial to fixing that this situation do you hear any promising proposals along those lines, or is this lip service? I don't think it's lip service. I, I believe that the Biden administration, not, not simply on the issue of the border and Central America and the region, but in general on immigration broadly, has a very sophisticated long-term vision. And it's a vision that is important for the longer-term future of the country, and the effort to deal with the region and begin to implant efforts and engagement that represents a regional approach to these flows is a very important part of where the Biden administration is trying to go and what is needed to address these issues. It's, it's as you know, we said earlier, this set of ad hoc approaches that we've had in the past is simply not uh, wise, and it's not going to get us anywhere. But the timelines for what it is that you can accomplish in the region are very different timelines, much longer timelines, than what's necessary at the border right now, given the numbers that we see. So I think that it is fair to say that the administration is making very aggressive efforts right now on in the region on the only really useful tools, and those are law enforcement tools, which does have to do with the Guatemalan southern Mexico border. It has to do with the borders between Guatemala and the other countries, and that is 
both law enforcement resources as well as in some of these countries, military resources, because that is how they do their enforcement. But beyond that, there is definitely an effort to engage these countries, the business communities in these countries, in terms of uh, uh, job creation and safety and pressure on the governments in the countries, uh, programs that deal with anti-violence, anti-gang activity, um, uh, 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 anti-smuggling, anti-trafficking, all of these kinds of longer-term efforts that do require foreign assistance. They require carrots and sticks. They are now under the responsibility of, of the vice president. That's going to be important in the longer term, but it is longer term. Right. Republicans are trying to make a political issue of this. They've, they've been sending their members down to the border to check it out. They've been coming up, coming back and holding press conferences and decrying what they see as a crisis down there. Do you think this is going to be a big political issue going forward towards the next election? It's clearly being teed up as a big political issue. I mean, the you have a, a, a mirror effect here of the people that were active in the last administration on the policies that are now being unwound by the current administration uh, pushing back. It's interesting that there hasn't actually been more litigation. Uh, and partly there hasn't been more litigation because the administration... Biden administration actually is unwinding these things adroitly and skillfully so that they are more litigation proof than what we saw in, in the last administration. But it's very much the same individuals and it is using the issue of immigration and migration as a political wedge issue, which was very much the playbook of the last administration that is now reformulating itself in the opposite direction as a, as a battering ram uh, politically on the current administration. This issue has been so intractable for so long. Are there new ideas under the sun? Do we have to totally rethink our immigration policy? Or can we work around the edges and get to a solution? I think it's both. I think it has to be both and. I mean, on the one hand, we have to be cognizant of the political realities here and the fact that there's only so much that can be done by the executive branch. It's Congress that has been missing in action. And until Congress is willing and able to pass legislation we that tells us as a country and that basically lays out for the executive branch what immigration should look like and what immigration policy should be, we will continue to have wild swings. And these wild swings that we've experienced between administrations, certainly between the last administration and this one, but prior to that as well, there's an enormous instability in the system because Congress simply is frozen. And Congress is being frozen on this has to do with the deeper paralysis in Congress, which is that we have very little political center in our politics today. There is not a piece of immigration legislation that has passed throughout our history that has been able to pass unless 
there was bipartisanship. And that's because immigration as an issue on each side of the political spectrum has antagonists. They happen to be much more uh, uh, intense right now on the right of the political spectrum. But still, it's a phenomenon that has been the case throughout, throughout our history. So if Congress can bite off even a piece and actually break the logjam of enacting something, and the most likely thing for that would be the DACA Dreamer issue. Uh, and maybe combined a little bit with something now on asylum because of the border, maybe that would be a way to get a little bit of bipartisanship moving in the Congress. Then maybe members would start to realize and the Congress as an institution could have the experience that the sun also will rise tomorrow, even if you do something on immigration. But until that happens, we, we, we will be working around the edges and we will be asking the executive branch to do things that are well beyond, uh, that, are, that are going to fall short of what's needed because the, the, the issue here ultimately is the laws. Doris, thanks so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode of CQ Future. I'm Sean Zeller. You can find all our podcasts at rollcall.com. The producers of this show were Joanne Levine and Evan Campbell. Thanks for listening. 